Well, good morning. I want to say a special welcome to all of you this morning who were willing to get up early to be a part of uh, today, whether you're online or with us in person. Um, what I have theologically to tell each and every one of you is go Braves. That's right. I mean, thank you for getting up early with that walk-off home run. And while we don't believe in revenge in the Christian church, we do believe in divine justice for last year. And so, uh, just saying, if you come to vision night tonight and then you pray deeply, we'll see, we'll, we'll see what can happen if we can, we can get this done. Hey, I did not actually study religion. Um, I was not a religion major when I was an undergraduate. I was a business major. And one of my favorite business classes that I took was international marketing. And we had this great professor who, towards the beginning of the class, who asked us as students, you know, how many of you want to be a part of a growing company? And of course, all of us, you know, eagerly, you know, raise our, our hands. And, and he says, you know what, one of the things that is wrong with American capitalism right now is that everybody wants to be a part of a growing company. And we were kind of confused by this. And he says, you haven't stopped long enough to ask a series of questions. And we were wondering what those questions were. And they were questions like, well, what is it that you would grow? And why would you grow it? And, and, and where would you take it? And so he did an exercise with us, an exercise where he assigned each person in the class a different product. And our job was to learn as much as we could about that product. The product that was assigned to me was this product, Pace Picante Sauce. And because I went to college in San Antonio, Texas, this was a hometown favorite. This was before Kip Goldsberry had sold it for billions and billions of dollars, which in case you're wondering, that's a lot of crushed tomatoes. And so I was assigned that particular product, and then as we learned as much as we could about that particular product, we were then later in the class posed with a question out of which we had to write a one-semester paper, which was the vast majority of our grade, which was, would you take that product to this particular market? So I was given paste picante sauce for my my product, and this was the country, the country of Japan. Would you take that product and would you take it and try to market it there? And you had to build your case as to why you would do something like that. As exciting as that was, as I started to research more and more, I realized that that probably was not the right product in that moment in time for that particular culture, that particular country, of which the professor said, now you're starting to learn the disciplined thinking of not just growth for the sake of growth. Later, when I was in seminary, if you would have asked a variety of pastors in the classroom and said, how many of you want to be a part of a growing church, all of us would have raised our hands of course we want to be a part of a growing church. But the question is, when we say that, is that more because we want to be a successful church for successful people? Or do we really believe in the product, in the gospel that we have? 
And so as we are going to dive into this, the last of our topics in the book of Acts, we're going to ask these three questions about us as growth in the church. What is it that we're trying to grow? Why are we trying to grow it? And to whom does it belong? And so in this series throughout the book of Acts, we've actually been in the first part of the book of Acts. Acts chapters 1 through 12 kind of comprise the the first section. And we've been walking through all of this in the entire fall. It's the, the, you are going to go out and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And then starting in chapter 13, we're just going to dip our toes in the water of what is about to happen for the rest of the book. Chapters 13 through chapters 28 are about taking that to the ends of the earth. This is the first sermon that Paul ever preaches according to the book of Acts. And he's on his first missionary journey. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law. Take care, therefore, what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe if someone had told you. And so as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. And when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord, and when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. And then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, expelled them from their region. And so they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Here you have a group of people who speak what they understand to be true and they experience persecution as a result of it and yet what we discover is that they are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. We all read the same headlines and know that the faith in the United States seems to be retreating and not advancing. Are we filled with that same spirit and that same joy regardless of the results that we see? I want to talk about the growth of the church today, and I want to use those three same questions that we talked about in international marketing as we bring those things to today's text. What is it that we're trying to grow? Why are we growing it, and to whom does it belong? 
So first, let's talk about what is it that we are trying to grow. Four different times in this particular passage, there is a phrase that repeats over and over again, and it sounds like such a religious phrase, this word of the Lord, that we don't hear the potency and the punch of what this really is. Caesar's favorite title that everybody would have to refer to him and sing to him about was that Caesar is Lord. And so what we're seeing is a contrast of the word, the gospel, the truth, the good news that was being proclaimed by Paul and Barnabas and that of what was in the Roman Empire. This story is taking place in Pisidian Antioch which was considered, its nickname was New Rome. The first missionary journey starts in New Rome and is going to end up in Rome itself. That there is this message that is not a message of Caesar, but of a very different kind of Lord. The text specifically says that the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. That's a very particular word. It's not the common word for something to grow. In Greek, it's the word of diaphero. It's where we get our English word diaphragm. So like when you breathe, how your body expands to take something in so valuable. It's the same word that Jesus uses in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he talks about, are you not much more valuable than the sparrows that God takes care of? It's the same word. Our family for eight years before coming here to Atlanta used to live in this location. This is Newport Beach, California. This is the mall in Newport Beach, California. You can shop, it's called Fashion Island. It's considered one of the most beautiful malls in the world. You can shop for a while, and if you're tired of shopping, you can say, I'm gonna go stare at the ocean for a while. It's absolutely magnificent. And one day, I decided to take the staff meeting of the church from the church on the road, and we met at the fountain at Fashion Island, and I said, I want you to see this place for how it really is. That yes, it's a mall, but it's not just a mall. It's a cathedral. It's a cathedral where people come to worship. And so what I gave people an assignment was on their phones or on a piece of paper was to walk around Fashion Island Mall and to write down the different promises that they are making. Wear this and you'll feel beautiful. Eat this and you'll be satisfied. Try this and you'll look younger. All of these different promises from all of these different stores, just if we have eyes to see, just screaming at us. And after listing all of these different promises, what we did was we sat down and said, is this a word of the Lord or is this a word of the Caesar of our time? Because you see, somebody's word is right and somebody's word is wrong. When we talk about the growth of the church, it is not about the growth of this building, it is not about the growth of the success or our budgets, we are talking about growth in the sense of that the word of the Lord, the promises of our God, 
are what really need to prevail. And so growth first begins with understanding what the gospel is, and it comes next to why do we do it? Because motives matter. That you can do the right thing, but you can do it in the wrong kind of way, right? And the motive of the gospel has to be none other than the grace of God. We see in verse 43 how they urged them to continue in the grace of God. There are many people who are very well-intended in wanting the message of Jesus to continue, but they don't do so for the right motives. Here's a picture of a very famous celebrity pastor by the name of Kyle Eidelman, who's written many wonderful books that I can highly commend to you. And Kyle's breakout book was entitled, Not a Fan. And it's this very helpful paradigm of asking a very convicting question. Are you more of a fan of Jesus or are you more of a follower of Jesus? And after he was experiencing the rising success and popularity of this book, he was at a men's conference at the University of Alabama. And by his own admission, he was really letting these men have it. And he was leaning into the conviction of making sure that they were real, true, and honest, and genuine followers of Jesus. Someone at the end of that conference slipped him a small piece of paper. And on that small piece of paper, all it had on it was a small verse from the book of Hebrews that said, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. And Kyle reported that he experienced a conviction in his own heart that while, yes, he believed in the message of wanting to call people back to a real understanding of being a true follower of Jesus, somewhere in that process of him trying to get people back to the genuine faith, he had lost the motive of the faith and had lost sight of grace. Several years ago in Wimberley Stadium, there was a giant rock concert in honor and celebration of Nelson Mandela. I think it was his 70th birthday. And there were all of these hit bands that had played all day long. And the organizers at the very end, without telling anybody, had tapped on the shoulder a famous African opera singer to come out at the very end with all of the enthusiastic and inebriated crowds. And she came to the stage and without any accompaniment, without any assistance, without any introduction, she just started to sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And as she started to sing that song, people scoffed and mocked, began to laugh 
and yell for dire straits to come back out to the stage. And yet she continued to sing, through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will bring me home. And after she continued to sing, a hush fell over the crowd. And by the time she got to, and we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, no less days to sing God's grace than when we first begun. Somewhere, people reached back into the deepness of their memories and their consciousness. And they began to sing. What is it that can still a rock concert and stop it in its tracks? Only genuine grace. Grace is power enough to erase your guilt. Grace is big enough to cover your shame. Grace is real enough to heal your relationships. Grace is strong enough to hold you up when you are weak. Grace is sweet enough to cure your bitterness. Grace is satisfying enough to deal with your disappointments. And grace is beautiful enough to redeem your brokenness. My friends, yes, we have to get the gospel right before we try to get the gospel out. And we have to understand God's promises and we also have to have that gut check, that motive check. Are we really genuinely motivated by the grace of God? Because the honest truth is sometimes we've got the gospel wrong and it's more about us and our success. What are you growing? Why are you growing it? And finally, to whom? Very clear who this is for, according to the Apostle Paul. It belongs to, through him, everyone. Everyone who believes is set free from every sin. I find it interesting today that some people really bristle at that word everyone and then there's other people that bristle at this same phrase at the concept of every sin because there's a lot of people think that there are some sins, the sins that they identify, that anybody who does that shouldn't be allowed to continue. We know that the gospel is for everyone it's the most inclusive thing in the world. And at the same time, it is exclusive because it does demand a response. It's everyone who believes. It's not just I'm okay, you're okay, we're okay. It's we're not okay, but we have a gracious God. And once we've gotten that right, This gospel will go everywhere. Another fantastic book, uh, this is 
uh, kind of reads like a novel. It's a page turner, but it's real. It's, it's the true memoir and story of, of a guy by the name of Vin Chung. I've gotten to spend some time with Dr. Chung, and he's a remarkable man with an even more incredible story. It goes all the way back to April of 1975, a very famous image, which I will show to you. One of the memories of them trying to escape from the top of the U.S. Embassy in Saigon at the collapse of the Vietnam War and conflict. For us as Americans, often the story stops there, but there were a lot of people left behind whose lives were irrevocably changed at the end of that war. For the Chung family, they were pretty well off in Vietnam and they had a very significant rice business. And after Saigon fell to the Viet Cong every year for four years, they just kept losing another aspect of their business and eventually the government had taken over and stolen everything from them. No concept of private property anymore. They just came in and take another thing and eventually they were penniless and they were homeless. And they were some of a million people who were trying to flee the persecution and the poverty of Vietnam. And so the Chung family got on a boat that was filled with people in horrible conditions. And at the time of them being on this boat, Vin Chung, we'll zoom in and you'll see him, was at the bottom of your screen. He was three and a half years old. He was malnourished. They had been at sea for a long time and they were rescued by a guy by the name of Stan Mooneyham who was with a small organization at the time that was called World Vision who could not stand idly by, and even though the South China Seas are twice as big as the state of Alaska, looking for a needle in a haystack, they went looking for people in order to rescue them, no strings attached. At one point before they were rescued, there was a time where the mother along the coast of Malaysia was separated from the rest of the family. And she was hemorrhaging from a miscarriage and she almost died. But eventually they were reunited, they were brought back together and eventually they settled, here's a photo of them, into Fort Smith, Arkansas. Imagine going from Vietnam to Fort Smith, Arkansas. And yet in the 1970s, that's exactly what happened to them. And here's what Vin's family looks like just a couple of years ago. Eight brothers and sisters. In between them, 21 advanced degrees from places like Yale and Harvard and Georgetown coming to this country with nothing, speaking no English. 
a non-Christian family that Vin said he heard his father pray for the first time when they were on that boat. But the best part of the story is that when they're here in Fort Smith, Arkansas, they are walking down the hallway of a Southern Baptist church. And as they're walking down the hallway, the mother sees a picture on the wall. Remember how I told you she was separated from the family in Malaysia and she was almost dying in a hospital, separated from her family? That night she had a dream, and in that dream, in that vision, a man that she did not recognize appeared to her and told her, you're going to be okay, you're going to reconnect with your family, everything's going to be fine. She hadn't given that dream a second thought until she is walking through the hallway of that Baptist church and she looks at the picture on the wall and she points to it and she says, that was the man in my dream. And they're like, oh, you mean he looks like him? She's like, no. That was the man in my dream. It was a picture, an artist rendering of Jesus. My friends, it is in the church's DNA to grow and to share this good news to the whole world. And sometimes God does it in spite of us. Sometimes God does it because of us. But this is how growth happens according to the formula of the book of Acts. The word of the Lord, God's promises, because of grace, for everyone. That's how this is supposed to work. And I wonder if we have that same rescuing passion that same rescuing spirit of a Stan Mooneyham that we will look and we will rescue and we will search and we will love with no strings attached. Because this message is for all. Let's pray. Expand our minds, our souls, our hearts, O oh God, with the very breath of your Holy Spirit. Help us to see the incredible value of the good news, the word, the promise that you have entrusted to us. Help us to not seek growth because we want to be perceived as successful. Help us to be only motivated by your own grace. Make sure that we in our own time see to it that no one misses the grace of God. And Father, forgive us for keeping this message to ourselves, for failing to see that it is for everyone. In an age where people tell us that it's rude to share the euangelion, the evangelism, help us to be wise and gentle as we share your good news. 
and spread it in this community and throughout the whole world. And we pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus the Christ and all of God's people said.